0: Here in Calvin's Geneva, where the uptight meets the easygoing like nowhere else. Here in Calvin's Geneva, where cannabis is legal, prostitution is legal and has been since 1942. Where since April 2017 you can swim topless in Lake Geneva, though I usually do anyway. And if you want to help your granny kill herself, Dignitas is just up the road. Yet at the same time, Calvin's Geneva is where you shouldn't flush your toilet after 10 o'clock at night, hang out a washing on a Sunday, wash your car in the street, and where the shops are deserted on Sunday closing day. Here, more than in most places, we run into the contradictions, confusions and challenges, intellectual, spiritual and practical, of the sacred-secular divide the sacred secular debate? Or is it just the sacred secular myth? And we try to figure out just what St Paul meant when he encouraged Christians not to be conformed to the standards of this world, but to let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. How do we live our life? How do we function as Christians? What stance do we take towards the secular world and all the things it offers, all the opportunities it presents. Different strands of church tradition, some of which have their roots in the thinking of John Calvin and elements of which we've exported from Geneva across the globe, those different strands look on the worldly world along a spectrum of attitudes. The denominations tell the story. The We Freeze, as they're called in Scotland, with their rigour. The Plymouth Brethren, open and closed. Independent Baptist churches, to some degree Methodism, has chosen to reject aspects of secular living. And there are definite elements within the Catholic and Anglo-Catholic styles of Christian living that refuse the world and all its attractions and seductions with a truly Calvinistic zeal so that their first approach to the secular world and its siren call is outright rejection, expressed sometimes in complete withdrawal behind the barricades, the walls of the convent, the gates of the monastery, but at the very least viewing the attitudes and values of the secular society with disapproval and distance, a negative take on the world as we find it. The world is a bad place full of bad influences and they see it as a threat to the purity and integrity of a true Christian faith. That approach looks and feels and sometimes is uptight, pursed-lipped and joyless. Now this of course can be a cruel caricature of people who simply don't find attractive, enriching or helpful the kinds of lifestyles many choose to adopt, and the moral confusions those lifestyles can bring. And if they sound like they're saying a lot of don'ts, these Christians, I don't do this, no, I I don't do that, no, we don't do that as Christians, even that should not be so much of a problem, you would think. For the world applauds the discipline and constraint of the professional athlete or performer, who puts doing well the things they do above the short-term gratifications of appetite. We don't give them a hard time for their focus, their single-mindedness and dedication. So if the Christian feels they can be better at being a Christian, without gambling and drinking and sexual licence and playing the world's games by the world's rules, why should anyone give them a hard time for that, you might think? The other approach to the world is to love it, embrace it, celebrate it and reject the negativism that seems to imply that the opportunities the world presents to us are without exception undermining to our faith and our faithfulness and we must reject them for what they are, distractions that would water down our commitment, deflect us from our proper focus and lead down broad roads that end in collapse and disaster. For those who refuse to take that stance and go down that road, the temptation, sorry, the option, is instead just to become a man or woman of the world, boldly and comfortably engaging with the world and its values, indistinguishable in how we live our life from everyone else. We don't want to be prigs, so we aren't anything. We don't want to be different, so no one knows that we're not just the same in our profoundest loyalties and our core values. The casual observer would see no difference in how we conduct ourselves, set our goals, pursue our dreams, so that the question is begged, if we were taken to court and charged with being committed Christians, Would there be enough evidence to convict us? For fear of seeming to our colleagues to be a Holy Joe or a Holy Josephine, we say nothing about our affiliations, our Christian commitment, our love for the Lord, and prefer to hope that by some strange alchemy, the fact that we are Christian believers and followers of Jesus Christ will just somehow emerge without our needing to say or do anything specific. We like the world. We like the good times it gives us. We don't want to be mortifiers of the flesh, deniers of the moment, awkward customers. Good old Presbyterians of the modern view are comfortable with that. We don't rock boats, We don't wave banners, we don't bang drums, we don't buttonhole doorstep or ram religion down people's throats. In fact, we probably don't say very much about it at all. At least that way, no one will ever think we're a fanatic, God forbid. Of course, what happens when no one says anything is that no one hears anything. Those harbouring their narrow secular view are never challenged, they never receive an invitation to explore, they never encounter a humble, sincere testimony as to what my faith means to me. There's just nothing. A silence so familiar, so constant, that it's no longer even an awkward silence. And the vague hope is that somehow our life and the faith embedded in it will Without words or witness or distinctive Christian lifestyle, kind of rub off, and our interface with the secular world will be transforming and creative for the many disbelieving secularists around us. Mmm, maybe. Maybe. Certainly our life may have more chance of attracting that kind of response if it is open, gracious, forgiving and respectful than if it is narrow, critical, prejudiced and mean-spirited. But it's still an optimistic assessment to imagine that if our lifestyle is pretty much the same as everyone else's, nonetheless somehow they will unearth our X factor of religious faith and want it for themselves. So we have this contradiction, this teasing conundrum. What do we do about the world, which is pretty great? Do we love it, treasure it, and embrace it as a gift? Art, music, sport, food, sex, drink, travel, pets, nature, pleasure and risk those things distracting us from our true loyalty and our first responsibilities? Or do we turn our back on those options, and in the name of seeking first the kingdom of God, do we search out the simple purities of the faith and make Calvin proud? Perhaps the Gospels give us a clue as to how to bridge the two worlds how to find a synthesis of the two views, the sacred and the secular. The Jesus of the Gospels could hardly be accused of frowning suspicion in respect to his embrace of life, people, situations, beauty, opportunities. His accusers are quick to condemn his associations and his easy way with people best considered of dubious character and reputation. Those most wonderful words in the New Testament. This man eats with sinners. And, by the way, seems to enjoy it. No haughty disdain, but getting alongside. No brusque dismissal, but a welcome that is humane and genuine. Here is a man who appreciates and appropriates, respects and engages with the world he finds himself in. And if sometimes he and his followers are called drunkards, And he seems always ready to feast, to celebrate and enjoy warm, life-affirming fellowship. That seems to be a risk he is willing to take. No hair shirt, no cloistered existence, but sleeves rolled up, engagement with life, life in all its fullness. The kind of abundant life he wanted for his followers. Not that we should hide behind the sofa clutching our convictions to our chest, but bold, alive, rejoicing in the gift of life. And if some people found that scary, or disapproved of the bloody bits it meant would be there, that was the risk he was prepared to take, to honour the God who gave us life and dared us to live bravely. Indeed, it is his hearty love of life that makes the prospect of his cross so terrible and his sacrifice so great. This was not some gaunt ascetic who wanted nothing more than to be rid of this life and who took on martyrdom like a comfortable old raincoat. This was a young man who loved people and saw with a poet's eye and took people to his big heart. He gives us a clue as to what our attitude living in this very real world should be and could be. And while Christianity might stop short of the rampant pantheism of New Age culture and other world faiths that see God in everything and everywhere, split a tree and God is there, lift a rock, God is there, it is certainly part of our understanding of reality To acknowledge that God is in, with and under all that is. All that we see, all that we encounter. He has not absented himself from the world. It is still his world, shot through with his truth and his gift. So art and music, poetry and drama, truth and wisdom, human love and relationships, friendship and forgiveness, reconciliations and peace. These are all part of the package part of the opportunity in his glorious world for us to find him and know his presence. As Paul says in his letter to the Philippians, whatever is good and pure and noble and lovely, think on these things, things that are not just found in churches or cathedrals, but in the streets and towns and houses and homes, the hearts and the stories of men and women. So we're best perhaps to reject a brutal and naive dualism, church or world, world or faith, sacred or secular, world all bad, only things ecclesiastical good. That would be to do a grave disservice to the creative love of God and the blessings he would have us know within his world. It would also make life pretty dull and pretty grey. However, we might also want to reject a shallow earthiness that dulls our spiritual appetite and directs our attention away from the things of God. So preoccupied are we with the concerns of our own pleasures that we forget our responsibilities towards God, our calling to seek first his kingdom. The danger is that we keep our eyes down on the mundane material world and lose touch with the spiritual dimension relegating that aspect of our being to what we look at and attend to and devote time to once all the other things are fixed and all the other desires are satisfied and when there's a a little space opened up on the schedule then we'll think about God. That's a a lopsidedness that will rob us of good, deep things true and healing things, creative and unique things. Certainly when we have a life-affirming faith and a sense of wonder and joy in the world we live in, and the experiences we can have within it, praise comes from a real and special place. We find joy in the common things of life. We count blessings that abound. We find reasons to sing such that we cannot be silent. The world is an amazing place, and we can find such love, laughter, joy and beauty within it, and praise is the right response to that. Not taking it for granted, but pausing to express gratitude and wonder at the breadth and generosity of creation and its moments. Our take on the world is a positive one. It is not our enemy. It is not, by definition, a trap set for us, a minefield to be negotiated on tiptoe. Our life in the world is a fabulous gift to be celebrated. And celebrated here in this place, in this moment, in worship, in praise that rises, in thanksgiving from big, wide, life-affirming hearts. Glad to the very core of our being that God has shared his bounty with us. Each of us has to work this out for our own life. Where the boundaries will be drawn between what is good in the world and can be celebrated and embraced, And what is dark and dangerous, shallow and unworthy and to be avoided? What is okay and what is inappropriate? What our priorities should be and where we should look for our fulfilment? We can enter the convent and reject the world. We can let its pleasures and allures suffocate the spiritual in us. Or we can take each day as a gift, take each day as a gift to be savoured, treasured and lived with God out of a brave heart that knows that it is his world and we can walk in it with him with confidence and conviction and be not afraid. Amen.